Well, as Pastor Jason was mentioning earlier, if this is your first Sunday or you're newer to the church, I want to extend a special welcome to you. Uh, my name is Brian Roberts, and I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm very grateful for you to be with us as we worship and gather in the name of Jesus as we do every weekend, uh, and so very good and glad to have you with us. If you are newer, in addition to the gift that Pastor Jason was mentioning, I'd like to meet you personally, so I'll be up here in kind of the front area of the church, and so if you want to come and just be a little patient with me, but I'd love to be able to meet you personally, extend my, my personal greeting to you, so very grateful to have you. We're in the second week of our Advent series, Advent coming from the word to arrival or coming. And so we're looking forward to the arrival, the coming of Jesus, the Christ child, uh, that Christmas Eve. And so we light candles and we read scripture and we talk about the Christmas story again. And the title of our series, the teaching series over these next few weeks is really simply that his kingdom will never end. It comes from the prophet Isaiah who prophesies about the coming Christ child, the Messiah, the one who would save the world, and he writes about him and says that he will establish a kingdom whose, who will never end, a, a kingdom that will last for eternity. And if you were here last week, you know that we started off this series by emphasizing the need to, for us to keep alive in us this desire for the kingdom for which we were created, that, that we were to not be so comfortable in the kingdom in which we find ourselves in that we take up the value systems and the, the ethics and the ways of the kingdom in which we find ourselves, but to make the kingdom that we were created for the main object of our life, to press on towards that kingdom and to help others to do the same, that this is to kind of take up what our, our life looks like. In order to remind us that this kingdom that we were created for, this kingdom will never end, we have these little magnets that we made for everybody, and we have some more magnets out on the, those high-top tables in little buckets that is just a simple visual reminder that you can put on your refrigerator or someplace that was magnetic with you know, metal that you can place somewhere. That would just be a reminder to you that we make our main object of our life, the kingdom that we were created for, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, that we are not so comfortable in the kingdom that we find ourselves in. And so if you wanted a, a magnet, if you didn't get one, if you weren't here last week or you, didn't, you walked out and you didn't grab one, I'd invite you to grab one sometime this morning as you walk out. They're in those little buckets on the high top tables. You just grab one on your way out just to be a visual reminder to you about this kingdom that we were made for. But this morning we're going to consider a different part of the Christmas story and what it looks like for us to be alive and to be people of the kingdom of God. How is it that we can live our life faithfully in the kingdom of God? And for that, we want to take a look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. In particular, we want to look at her song of worship that she writes, her Magnificat, as it's known in other translations or other traditions. And what this Magnificat, what this worship song of hers, what it teaches us about life in God's kingdom and how we might follow after God faithfully in wherever he has placed us. This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, a bit of it for a while here. So if you have a Bible with you or an app on a phone or a tablet or something, I invite you to open up to Luke chapter 1. If you don't have one of those with you this morning, that's okay. We've got verses up on the screen that you can follow along as well. But Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 26, and then we'll see uh, what the Lord may teach us through the Word this morning. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even, your, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Well, as we unpack a little bit of what Mary's story teaches us about being faithful to the kingdom of God, let's pray together and then we'll see what God may teach us. Father, it's because of your grace that we come and we ask that you would teach us about life in your kingdom. Life in the way in which it was made to be lived abundantly in your presence. May we learn from Mary and her response to be people of the kingdom. Be people whose main object is to press on towards the life that you have created us for. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the story says that Gabriel, this angel, appears to Mary sometime and tells her that she's going to conceive and give birth to a son. And Mary asks this very legitimate, simple question. Huh? Like, what? She asks, how is this going to happen? Because you know, like I know, that I know how these biological things go on and none of that has happened yet, so I should not be pregnant. And so she asks this very legitimate question. How is this going to happen? And it's actually questions that people over, over the generations have asked since then. How is this going to happen? Because it seems like it's impossible. It's an impossible situation that the angel Gabriel declares over Mary. And she's got a very right question to ask. How is this going to happen? But the angel's response is very direct to her and says, well, this is going to happen because of God's act or because of God's working. It's going to be the Spirit of God's going to come on you. It's going to overshadow you. And so the one who is going to be born to you will be known as the Son of God. And then he says this. He says, for nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible. And if she needed any more convincing about the, the ways in which God can do the impossible, he points her to the miracle that is already happening in her relative Elizabeth. She who is unable or said to be past the childbearing years, he says, is already conceiving. She's in her sixth month of pregnancy. If you're looking for evidence, in other words, for the miraculous, that God is able to do the, what seems to be impossible, then check out your relative Elizabeth. She's with child, and people said the same thing about her. It was impossible. And here, let me just pause for a second and just remind us that sometimes in order for us to have faith in what God is going to do, when, it's, when we face up the, what seems like the impossible, sometimes we need the witness of other people to testify to God's ability to do the impossible. Sometimes when we're facing a situation where we are overwhelmed by it, sometimes we need somebody else. And the angel gives grace to Mary and says, if you need some proof, 
then take a look at what God's doing already over there. For with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing's impossible. And Mary's response to this, this call on her life is worth considering this morning. Mary's response to the call from the angel Gabriel to do the, what seems like the impossible is worth considering as we look to be faithful in God's kingdom, to be Christ-like people in the world in which we are sent. Mary models for you and for I a faithful surrender that is good in the kingdom. And she models for us a faithful surrender. She simply says, as recorded, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. What's interesting in the reading of the text here is you don't get a whole lot of indication or inclination that she was all that excited about this. It wasn't like she had been praying and waiting for the baby. It wasn't like she has been waiting this whole time. You don't get this, this inclination from the text that she was overjoyed at this news. In fact, this was earth-shattering news, news that was going to rock her world and cause all sorts of gossip and scandal to be all around her all the time. But she simply says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. There's a faithful surrender that she just simply says yes to the ways of God. Sometimes the best thing you can do when you're faced up with a situation where you feel like God is calling you to do something that seems impossible, sometimes the best thing that you can do and sometimes the only thing that you can do is be faithful and say, I'm the Lord's servant. I may not be overjoyed by this, but I am your servant. So may your word be fulfilled. God is so honored by a faith like that, that doesn't have all the answers, that doesn't wrap it up in a nice Christmas package, that doesn't have everything neatly tied together, but God is so honored by faithful people that just simply say, I am the Lord's servant. And while I don't understand it, and while I'm not all that excited about it, I am surrendering to your will in my life. God can use ordinary people when they have extraordinary trust in him. And he can bring about extraordinary things. One other thing to consider about this faithful surrender that Mary models, not only for us, but for people down through the ages. But we're told in the scriptures that as Jesus grew, he grew in knowledge and in wisdom. And later in his life, the night before he was betrayed, or the night he was betrayed and handed over and tried and executed, He prayed a very similar prayer. And he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed with all sorts of fervor and and diligence and he prayed and he said, God, if if there's any other way, you can take this cup away from me. But then he prays this prayer very similar to what we see in Mary's response. Not my will, but yours be done. Uh, That causes me to kind of wonder. I wonder if he learned that faithful surrender from his mother. I wonder if Jesus recalled what it looked like for his mom to not have all the answers, to not even be all that overjoyed, but to be face-to-face with all the stuff that's going to go on, but have faithful surrender because Mary models for us and models for Jesus and for all to be watching around an aspect of life in God's kingdom that is faithful surrender to the ways of God, even when we don't understand it. And she's blessed because of it. She simply says, may your word to me be fulfilled. Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. 
And what I will tell you, wherever you are in your life with God, wherever you've been, however long you've been pursuing God, there's a blessing that comes when we learn to just simply be faithful in our surrender to the will of God. Where we may not be overjoyed by it, we may not be excited about it all the time, but there's a blessing that comes when we are faithful in our surrender to the will of God in our life. And after her faithful surrender to Gabriel, she hurries off to visit with her relative Elizabeth. Which causes us to wonder, why does she go to Elizabeth? Like, what is it about Elizabeth that makes Mary draw, run after and go after her? Well, culturally, it's important to know. Culturally, it was important for women when they were pregnant. They, have, they would spend the time in seclusion to go with, with other women. They would take care of the early parts of pregnancy and that kind of stuff, only to be reunited with their husbands at another time. So culturally, it could have just been a, a normal thing for her to do, just rush off and, and be in seclusion with her family. It could have been that. It also could have been for her physical safety because undoubtedly word had already been gotten out that she was pregnant and it wasn't Joseph's. So the, the assumption would be that she had committed adultery. And the consequence or the penalty for adultery would have been stoning. So for her physical safety, she rushed off and she wanted to be alone and to avoid the, the penalty there. And I'm sure the gossip train had already started. People had already started talking behind her back and started going off there. So maybe she was just running away from the emotional pain of having to face people day after day when they, you know that they're talking behind your back. So maybe she left away to go away from that kind of stuff. Which makes total sense to me. But why go to Elizabeth? Why Elizabeth? Well, perhaps it's the best reason I can come up with. It's what I mentioned just briefly a little earlier. She needed to be around someone who was going through the same thing she was going through. She needed to be around someone who was going through the same thing and in fact had already kind of gone through some of it for six months, she was already pregnant. She needed to be around someone who knew what it was like to have people talk about her. She knew she had to be around people who knew what it was like to go the road, to be faithfully obedient to the call of God in their life when it seems ludicrous and impossible to everyone else that she was trying to be faithful to God. She needed to be around people that had walked the road of faith longer than she had walked the road of faith. And you see the second thing about life in the kingdom that I want to bring up to us. See, the first thing is that life in the kingdom means we are faithfully surrendering, where we are saying, Father, I don't mean to understand this, but I'm your servant, so may your word be fulfilled in my life. So it's faithful surrender. But the second thing is that we need the support of community around us. Because as you grow in your faith, there will be times when you are stretched beyond what you think you can handle. There are times when you're stretched and God is going to call you to something that you're not sure that you can do. And it's at that point where you need the loving community of people, Christ-like people gathered around you to walk with you through this road of faith. People that have walked the road before you. Well, Mary is obedient to the call for sure. She's faithfully surrendering. She's saying, I'm going to do this. But she needs the strength that comes from solidarity of community of others that are on the same journey. She needs the strength that comes only when she finds solidarity in those that are walking the road with her. And when she finds the solidarity in Elizabeth, when she finds the community in Elizabeth, then we're told that joy finally comes to her. See, she was faithfully obedient. 
She was going to go the road. She was going to surrender her life. But when she finds solidarity in community with those who are walking the road of faith longer than she is now, now joy comes in her life. We're told that with Elizabeth, when Mary greets her, Elizabeth says, the baby in my own womb, John the Baptist, leaped for joy at the sound of your greeting. There's joy when there's solidarity and community. And what you see in Mary and her response is while she was very willing to be faithful to God's call, though she didn't know the, the full extent of it, didn't know all that was going to happen, still thought it was kind of impossible, she was very willing. She needed Elizabeth. She ran to Elizabeth's house because she needed Elizabeth. It wasn't by chance. And some of you and some of us are struggling in some area to find out how do we be faithful to God in the very details of our life. How do you be faithful to God at work? How do you follow the ethic and the value systems of the kingdom of God at the workplace? in the factory, at the school, on the assembly line? How do you find a way to be faithful to God? And we're struggling understanding how can we do this. Can I simply suggest to you that we follow the way of Mary and we find someone who's been on this road of faith longer than we are and we get ourselves close to them, to learn from them. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus at the workplace? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus as we parent our children? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus as we learn to honor our parents as they're aging and they're getting older. What does it look like for us as we follow Jesus in the details of our lives? You need an Elizabeth around you. Because you may be faithful and surrendering and just doing what you think that God is calling you to do, but there will be joy when you find solidarity in community. When you find someone who's been walking the road six months or a year or six years or 60 years longer than you and you draw close to them. And you draw close to them. And some of us need to hear this this morning because there are people around you and you have a testimony to say. Because some of us, some of us know what it's like to raise children and to seek to follow God in the ways of raising children. And there are young parents all around us that need wisdom from older parents. What it looks like. There are people who are entering into retirement around us, around us and you need someone who's walking the road of faith into retirement and you need to t- teach and to model and to walk with them. To recognize, to, re- to let them know that they're not alone. It's not, it's not an accident that we have a child dedication this morning and we have families stand up before us and these little children, they don't just need a mom and dad who are faithful to God. They need that. But friends, they need you guys. And these parents need you guys. They need us. Because there's solidarity in a community that comes around and walks with them, to pray with them, to be near to them. This is why Mary leaves and goes to be with Elizabeth. And this is what Elizabeth does. She's with her in the midst of her struggle. And she prays with her. And joy in obedience of the Lord comes when we have solidarity of community support of those around us but it leads me to the third thing i want to get to in mary's story and that is her worship her magnificat her song that she writes and she says over this time when she's with elizabeth and now like all great worship songs like all great worship stuff this this aspect focuses our vision on who god is and it clearly depicts on who god is and who we are 
It's exactly what Mary starts in her song. And I'm just going to read a, a couple of verses here for us. But verse 46 through 50. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary's worship as she's faithful to the call of God, she begins her worship the way we ought to begin our worship, and that is by glorifying God. She says, my soul glorifies God. My soul glorifies the Lord. Her worship begins with a recognition and an admonition that God is in control and that He is the one who indeed holds all things together. The Lord is on His throne. He is established eternally on His throne and He has performed mighty deeds. His kingdom will not end and that is not up for question. It's not threatened at all. This is true of who God is. And what is true and powerful about worship is when we decide to start with a clear declaration of the worthiness of who God is. That God is to be magnified. Our true worship begins with magnifying the Lord with where He is. Recognizing that He is enthroned on an eternal throne. That He is not threatened at all. So we start our worship and we start our response by magnifying the Lord. My soul glorifies the Lord is what Mary says. But then Mary's song takes a turn and it goes beyond just simply glorifying and magnifying God on his eternal throne and it gets personal because God is not just this one out on this throne somewhere distant out there. She, her song gets personal. Her worship gets personal and she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. My Savior. Her worship turns from just the magnifying of this throne God and to recognize that God is mindful of us. God is close to us. God knows us. That God in His rich love and mercy has reached out to us to rescue us. This is what the Christmas story is. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. This is why we light candles and we sing songs and we, and we say prayers and we read Scripture. Because this Christmas story is the worship of a God who we were reminded is enthroned, seated eternally in His good kingdom, and yet out of His rich mercy and love for us, reached out and stepped into humanity to become one with us, to rescue us from the presence and the power of sin in our life. And because of who He is and how He's magnified, and because He's mindful of us, that He's done great things, and He, and he seeks to save and to rescue us, well, that leads us to a faithful surrender. That leads us to a life of witness that others will pay attention to what God is doing in our life. That they can know the goodness of God and the eternal life and His good presence is available right now. And we can make this worship of God, this magnifying of God, and recognizing His throne and also His coming close to us, the way in which He came near to us, mindful of us, that we make that the main object of our life. That we press on towards the kingdom that which we were made for, not the kingdom which we find ourselves in. We press on towards the kingdom that we were made for because God is indeed enthroned and we can magnify His name and He has indeed been, been mindful of us and came to us and rescued us. And this is what we celebrate. This is the story of Christmas. The eternal one 
has in, in encapsulated himself into time and space and in human kindness, and he comes to us to rescue us, to lead us to eternal life. What's needed from each one of us is faithful surrender. Faithful surrender. And when we have the support and solidarity of others on the journey, then faithful surrender is met with joy. And we can follow after the ways of God with joy. We joyously follow after Jesus and His kingdom. And this is not only the Christmas story, this is the Christian story. Because to be a Christian is to declare God alone is on the throne, that He is worthy of all that we have. But it's also to, rest, to recognize that He has come to be with us, to rescue us, to be mindful of the situation that you are in, and indeed to do a miracle and the miraculous right where you are. And we doubt it, and we don't understand it, and so we need Elizabeths around us to remind us that the God that we worship is, is able to do the impossible. We need witnesses of people to remind us of that. This is what it means to follow after Christ. And this is what we do when we come. And this is what we do when we come to the Lord's table as we're coming to this morning. We come again to receive and to recognize the gift of Jesus that wasn't just a baby in some straw some 2,000 years ago, but is the Savior of the world. And so as you come this morning, we practice open communion. So if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come and be a part of the communion with us. And we're gonna, you're going to be dismissed in a moment from the backs of your sections. From the ushers will dismiss you, kind of come on the right side of your section. There's three stations today that are at the kneeling rails. And I invite you to come down the aisle and just pick a spot that's up here. You don't have to go to the one that's directly in front of you. Pick an open spot on the kneeling rails. And someone will come to you and they'll bring you the bread. And they'll say, this is the body of Christ which was given for you. And when you do this, when you take this bread, would you recognize that this is the eternal one, sits on an eternal throne, who's mindful of you. Who's mindful of you. And then someone will come and give you the, the cup and they'll say, this is the blood of Jesus which is poured out for you. And again, be reminded that this is the, the blood of Jesus that was mindful of you to rescue you. To set us into his kingdom eternally for the rest of our lives. The Apostle Paul tells us it's good for us to have a, a moment of silence or a moment of reflection to, to remember the sacredness of this meal. And it's not a moment of thinking to see if we're worthy enough because this is a meal for sinners. It's not a meal for perfect people. But it's a, it's a reflection on the aspect of what this meal means to us, what Christ means to us. And so as we quiet our hearts, if we bow our heads and close our eyes, we're just going to have a moment of silence. And then I'll lead us through the responsive readings that are on the screens in a little bit here but just to be reminded that god is indeed worthy of all of our worship he is magnified in this world he indeed sits on the throne and yet he has been mindful of you in your situation and is calling you to a life with him he's asking for faithful surrender faithful surrender if you're serving communion this morning you can come and get ready this morning then we'll lead you in just a moment